Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. Today, I will be chatting with author Tim Laskowski. This episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion rehabilitation, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in Minnesota. They have greatly helped me and many others in the Twin Cities. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hello, everyone. I am Amy Zellmer, and you are listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not be familiar with who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council, and I recently released my first book, Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. Today, our guest is Tim Laskowski, and Tim was born and raised in Erie, Pennsylvania, and has worked in social services for most of his adult life. He also has a PhD. For 21 years, he was a case manager in Montana, working with people with disabilities, many of which were TBI survivors. Currently, Tim lives in Prescott, Arizona, and is the program manager for U.S. Vets, a program that serves homeless veterans. Tim has served on the board of directors for the Montana Brain Injury Alliance and for the VSA Arts of Montana, an organization that promotes art for art opportunities for people with disabilities. Tim is the author of the novel, Every Good Boy Does Fine, published by Southern Methodist University Press in 2003. The novel is the story of a Montana man with a brain injury who is trying to regain his independence and move from a group home. So, Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Amy. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, as I mentioned to you before we went live, I'll let our listeners know, um, I am in the middle of traveling, so I am sitting in my car outside of a McDonald's um, snagging their Wi-Fi (laughs) so I could do my my show today. Um, So I apologize if there are any random outside noises. So, um, but thank you for being here. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, no, no problem. Um, I'm happy. I'm happy to be here. So Aaron actually was the one who put me in touch with you. He kept telling me I had to read your book. I had to read your book. And um, you were gracious enough to send me a copy. And I, I was, you know, you yourself do not have a brain injury. And this novel is fiction. It is written from the first-person point of view of a character named Robert, who does have, he has a fairly severe brain injury and is living in a group home. And I have to tell you, you know, considering you do not have a brain injury, you have not lived through it, you truly, truly nailed the emotion and the feeling behind the character. Um, 
So why don't maybe we start with you giving us a little bit of background. You know, you've worked with people with traumatic brain injuries. Um, so maybe give us some background of that. Okay. I, um, you know, I first started working with people with disabilities back in like 1990. I was a, uh, a caseworker for the, the Department of Medicaid in Montana. And that's when I first met uh, folks with, with brain injuries. And, you know, many of them were injured as young men or young women and, or, you know, in their teens or early 20s. And they were pretty severe injuries, um, folks um, having to use wheelchairs or having uh, their, their, their voices uh, unable to be articulate, unable to be intelligible at times. And so a, a lot of severity there. And uh, so over the years, I, so I did that for a while, and then I later became a case manager for what was called home and community-based services and, and was also involved with a brain injury rehab program that we had at the hospital that I worked at. And I got to know some of these folks, and at first I had no clue you know, what was behind the injuries. Uh, to me, I felt bad for them, but I didn't know how to relate. But then I went to a conference in which uh, a couple guys read their poetry, and I couldn't understand their, you know, their speech, but then their writing tutor uh, interpreted and read that, and, and it just amazed me because I had been missing all the profundity these people have and all, I mean, you know, they, they, you know, all the intellect, everything was there, um, but it was hidden by, by the surface areas. And it made me feel kind of ashamed that I didn't recognize that earlier. And since then, I just kind of got fascinated by, you know, what these people experience and, and what the struggle is for coherence and, and to find meaning and, and having everything kind of cohere and come together for them, and and for a while there, I, I went, I took kind of a sabbatical from social work, and I went to school for English and literature, and and one of the things that was current in in, in literature at that time was was you know how things don't make sense, how people you know there is no meaning in in books or in texts and stuff that we all kind of make it all up. And, but at the same time, I knew these people with brain injuries who were trying to find meaning, trying to make sense of the world, trying to you know, find what is real. And it seemed kind of a, a juxtaposition there that I wasn't comfortable with. And so I decided I was going to try to get into the mind of, of what it would be like. And so I started writing in first person and was very aware that I might not get it right because I don't, I don't have a brain injury. But I also realized that we all kind of struggle for the same things, and we all have our own particular struggles. And, um, you know, the fact that I didn't have a brain injury was just, you know, luck and God's grace. And, um, you know, but, but I really wanted to get the story right. And um, I, I think I've done pretty well, but, but yeah, it was kind of daunting. Because I didn't, and my goal was to reveal what these what people with brain injuries go through, trying to make it better known or understood to the wider community. 
Um, and so I hope that I, I was able to do that. I think you absolutely did. Um, you know, you were talking earlier, you, you mentioned how these people, you know, they maybe couldn't communicate, um, but once you realize that their intellect was still there, you know, that's very often the case, and people just assume, you know, they're mumbling or they're grumbling or they have a vacant look in their eyes um, that, they, that they don't have intelligence, and that's, that's not always the case at all, you know. Um, it's, it's the part of their brain that was damaged was a communication portion, you know. Like they might not be mm-hmm. able to talk, um, but yeah. they can still think, they can still write, um, or, you know, some people can read, but they can't write or vice versa. Like it's just, you yeah. know, depending yeah. on that exact point where their brain is injured, um, you know, their communication can be impaired. Um, and, you know, you did a really great job of that. Like, you know, as we're reading this character, um, you know, it, it occasionally comes up like his caregivers will tell him, um, you're mumbling you know, take a breath, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and, and try it again. Because um, he thinks he's talking totally fine, right? And I think yeah. that's very common. Yeah, I uh, yes. Yeah, I, t- I did try to uh, capture that. And the, you know, the, the whole the story, the, the book kind of took shape with the first paragraph. I tried to write a paragraph that, um, it showed this, this struggle for coherence, and but I didn't know where this, this book was going to go. So out of that first paragraph, and I, I kind of identified you know, kind of what the issues were for me, and then created a character out of that. And he was largely based on one particular client I had to get started. But then as the book developed, um, he, he became kind of a composite character. And uh, the one client I had who has since passed away, his name was Dan. And uh, you know, Dan taught me a lot. And we were about the same age um, when I first met him. And there was just, he was very a polite guy, but he was also noncompliant in a lot of ways. Um, you know, he, his impulse control was, was not there. Um, and he had suffered his brain injury from a car wreck. And uh, when he was about 19 years old, and when I met him, I think we were about in our 30s. And but it made me realize, you know, it was just luck that I wasn't in his place because I had driven drunk a lot when I was a kid and and such. And so, you know, there's there's not that much difference. I mean, we I think a lot of times people look at people with significant uh, injuries, and you know, they can't imagine that that they have that much in common, but, you know, we all do. We're all human and we're all struggling for the same stuff. And I th- and Dan helped me uh, learn that. And Dan also was, a, he liked to write. He uh, often would have to dictate what he was going to write because he couldn't write it down manually himself. And so I or many of his caregivers would write down his poetry and, and, you know, his poetry was humorous and profound at the same time. And so he taught me a lot. Yeah, I think, you know, what's so compelling about the story with Robert is, you know, he was a young guy. He kind of had 
um, a freak accident and was injured. And um, he had a very young son that he Mm -hmm. couldn't remember because the baby was born, you know, after his injury. And he has, like, no recollection of this child. Like, his long-term memory is intact. But, you know, his yeah. the, the memory from around his accident, you know, that's gone. And so, like, he it's it's foreign to him that he has this teenage son now. Um, and I found that to be really an interesting dynamic because, you know, that memory component is so finicky with brain injury and, um, you know, and, and how his family – they're, they're, you know, you can tell that they're very well-meaning and, and they still love their son, but they just don't know what to do with them, right? <laughs> and and I yeah. can so relate to that with with some of these, with some of the brain injury people I do interact with that are a little more severe. It's like, you know, you'll love them to death, but it, it is. It can sometimes be challenging and, and you just have to have a lot of patience and, um, you know, just let them express yeah. themselves. Yeah, you know, I, I had a client um, whose mother kept referring to his so-called real life, which was his life prior uh, to the brain uh-huh. injury. And, and her whole focus was always, well, when, when he gets back to his real life, you know, it'll yes. be like this. And, and so in my, my book, I use that. So Robert's mother... Uh, also refers to the, his real life and such, and and she thinks well he's going to go through rehab, and even though it's been you know 15 years since the injury, you know that he's going to get back to that so-called real life. And so one of the themes of the story is how does Robert accept what his real life is, which is part of his disability. And so um, you know near the end of the book he has a long uh, kind of fantasy about you know, that he's cured, that, that he's fine, that he's, um, you know, his body's working again and, and he can relate to his son and he's out throwing the football to his son. And, and But in the fantasy, all of a sudden, the son realizes, wait a minute, you know, this something's wrong here. And his son kind of brings him back to reality with the idea of like, hey, Dad, I need you who you are. I need you as you are. And there's value in that. And, and that's the real life. And um, and I, I saw that a lot, especially with folks who um, you know were in, you know, who were recently injured. You know that struggle to for acceptance of yeah. what the circumstances are, and you know that can take a few years or more or maybe never. Um, um, but you know, it's so essential to to know that there's value in whatever you are and whoever you are. So. So that was one of the things I was I was trying to dig at in 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 the book. Yeah, and you know, talking about the mom and and when he gets back to his real life, and and Robert also kind of really thinks that he's going to get back to his real life too. You know, like he is mm-hmm. trying to get out of the group home and be independent. Um, it yeah. doesn't quite understand his his limitations. Um, you know, he has a lot of impulse control issues. Um, he's aware of it, but at the same time, he doesn't know how to control it, right? And yeah. and I yeah. see that yeah. a lot. Yeah, I see that a lot with, with people I interact with. And the whole, you know, thinking I'm fine, um, 
even though I'm still in a wheelchair and can't walk, but I, I still think that I could, you know, go walk up the stairs. Um, you know, that's part of the brain injury talking. And I yeah. think it's such a challenging, um, challenging fine line, you know, how, how do you commu- communicate to the person? No, you're not. You, you can't go walk up the stairs. You know, we have to start by having you walk three feet, assist it with a gate belt. <laughs> Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think yeah, you really captured a lot of that. I think there's a lot of impatience, you know, that I want to get better and I want to be better right now. And but like I said, then there also comes a point where you got to accept where you are and who you are. And you know that's, but that's true for everybody. I mean, there's. I mean, I wanted to be a center field for the New York Yankees. Well, I can't. Um, I wanted, you know. <laughs> right. You know, um, you know, not to make light of it, but that's, you know, I think a lot of life is that, is, is just coming to an acceptance of what your limitations are without giving up dreams or without aspiring for more because you can always do better. But but sometimes who we are is, is the most important thing. I mean, that that people need us even with our imperfections and... And, and, and I think that's that's very true. And, you know, and it's kind of funny, I was thinking, too, that, you know, with the book, like I said, I, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't have it plotted out or anything. So so Robert kind of accumulated a background and a story and, and the stuff that was going on with him. And at the time of that writing, I had a, a son who was roughly the same age as Robert's son in the, in the book, and so I kind of took my experiences, my feelings and such with my son and, and translated that to the book. So an interesting thing to me was with Robert, you know, he, he started um, inspired by one particular client and then there were other clients that kind of contributed to making his character, but still in the long run, a lot of it is me. Um, and even though I, you know, I didn't have the physical injuries or the brain injury, Still, I inhabit Robert as much as anybody um, because that, that, you know that's what I can draw from. And again, it shows the universality of of our experiences, no matter how different we are on the outside. I, you know, and I feel like your book should be required reading for anyone who works in a group home because I think it really gives you the insight into brain injury. Um, that's often lacking in our education um, and training. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like the, the, the workers in, in the book were all, you know, they all seem pretty, pretty understanding and, and tolerant. Um, but that's not always the case. Definitely. No. And no, but you know, you know, oh, you, but you know, one of the, go one ahead. Of my goals in the book was to, if there was going to be a hero in the book, Besides Robert, I wanted it to be a, a frontline worker. You know, um, I was a case uh-huh. manager, so I wasn't necess- I wasn't on the front line. I'd meet with my clients, you know, uh, you know, every month or so or whatever, and and advocate for them, you know, make referrals for them, do everything I could for them. But I wasn't on the front line that often. Um, you know, sometimes I'd volunteer or something. But but those folks. You know, in the in the group home there, day and night. I mean, they're the ones that really, 
learn and and make the stuff happen and make things work. And of course, you know, there's some folks that never get it, but a lot of the people I knew, they cared a lot and, and they did everything they could to to help. And um and so in in my book, um the group home manager's name was Jennifer and I really tried to to make it known that that you know, she, she, as much as any of the experts that Robert was uh, involved with, I mean, she was the one that really knew him and and was the hero. So, you know, in in the book, Robert goes through a rehab program and he meets you know physical therapists and speech therapists and psychologists and uh, occupational therapists and such, and you know they are all experts in what they do and do a good job but it still always comes down to that frontline person. And uh, uh-huh. the other thing I the other thing I kind of discovered as I was writing it is um you know a lot of times we who work with people with disabilities we kind of objectify them. We see them as the disability not as a, a person and so yeah. Again, my, my revelation with Robert through his poetry was seeing him as a person, as a real human being. But then, you know, it, it struck me too that, um, you know, with the people like in group homes and such, I mean, they have a parade of caregivers that come through because many of those folks, you know, don't work there for very long. Um, yeah. And so, so they have a, a way of almost objectifying the caregivers, you know, that – you know, you're here to serve my needs, and um, and you know it's more than that. And and that's the other thing I kind of reflected on was in that dynamic between caregiver and client. Um, you know, you're supposed to have professional boundaries. You're not supposed to get too close, and you're not supposed to share certain information. But at the same time, that worker knows every intimate detail of that client, including, you know, how they go to the bathroom and, you know, how they sleep, how they do everything. Um, and it's almost you have to blur the boundaries just a little bit to become human beings to each other. And I haven't figured out the right equation there, but, um, you know, it's being a caregiver on the front line is not like in, in any other job. It's not like selling cars. It's not like you know, working in a bank or something. I mean, because there's a lot of intimate sharing that gets done. And um, it, it's just kind of fascinating to me to try to explore, you know, what's the right, what's the right balance there. And so that, that's one of, another thing I kind of tried to do in the book. And there's a point where Robert realizes, hey, you know, this, this lady who's helping me all the time, she has a life and she, you know, she's, Right. Yeah. So yeah, it it, it very it was very interesting to me, and and in and it was part of my effort to, again to try to get into that character and try to get into the the internal reality of what's going on. Yeah, and I think you know, like I said, you really truly just nailed you know all of the emotion and the reality of it all, and. You know, I, I really, I really do think anyone in a group home, or even like caseworkers, um, people in those type of positions too, should really read it because it, it just gives such a, a different insight. Um, you know, I've read a ton of books 
written by other survivors. And the, the one that probably comes the closest would be my stroke of insight. Um, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but, you know, she recounts, she, she was very aware of everything that was going on around her, but they thought that, you know, she wasn't with it, so to speak. Cause she couldn't mm-hmm. communicate mm-hmm. Um, when she was in the hospital. Um, you know, kind of going back to what we talked to before, you know, like she wasn't able to really communicate at all. And so they just kind of made this assumption that, you know, maybe she's not in there, maybe she won't come back. And at, but the whole time she's understanding everything that's going on around her. Um, so, you know, your yeah. I, I feel like your book is very similar and it captures um, yeah. from the perspective of the patient. Yeah. And um, it, it was just a really good read. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I after the book was published, I did try to make it aware. I like I wrote uh, emails and letters and uh, with every brain injury association uh, in the United States and even some across uh, in other places. I actually even went to Scotland um, back in 2007, and I I addressed the brain injury. Um, there was a brain injury conference for social workers in Scotland, and they had invited me to go and talk about my book and the experience. Um, but um, I, I just feel grateful that that it has found a place that it's it's had some value to people. And you, you mentioned absolutely. Aaron. Aaron's my biggest greatest fan. I, um, yeah, mine always... too. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> He's a unique guy. Yeah, he's, he's special, and he, yeah, he's uh, constantly um, advocating for the book. So that's great. Yeah, maybe it's time for um, what do they do? A second edition or whatever, and give it a revamp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would like. To, unfortunately, so, the, um, the press the press no longer exists, but um, but maybe somebody else could pick it up. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so where can someone find your book? Um, right now, you know, it's it's no yeah it's no longer in print officially, but it it can be found on Amazon.com. And I also I happen to have I still have about sixty copies at home that I would if anyone wanted to touch base with me, um, I could you know I'd, I'd be willing to send it just for the price of shipping. So. But on Amazon, Wonderful, and, there's, and, there's, it, and it is on Amazon. You said. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. There would be, but there, and then I can probably try and... used copies, but there's probably some new copies out there as well. And like I said, I have, I have a box full of them. Wonderful. Well, Tim, thank you so much for being here, and and thank you for sharing this book with us. It's um, I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very. Um, very, very well done um, and a very great representation of someone in, in the situation that Robert was in. So thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Amy, for your interest, and um, I appreciate it too. Thanks. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I appreciate you all being a part of my journey. I hope you enjoyed the show. And again, another thanks to our sponsor, Minnesota Functional Neurology, the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain rehabilitation in Minnesota. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com.
And again, be sure to visit basesoftbi.com to listen to previous podcasts and see any upcoming topics that we have. And thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey. And I will see you all again next time. Have a good afternoon, everyone.